Good evening, family. It's always good to be together. I'm always pleased to have the opportunity to talk to you about our good Lord. Tonight I'd like to continue a tradition I have of what I like to call the interactive sermon. Whereas in the evenings when we have a more intimate group, if you will, it's more applicable to, uh, to talk a little more back and forth. And what I like to do in these instances is ask you three questions and have at least three responses before we move on so we can look at a subject uh, with a more interactive approach, if you will. The title is, Who is Your Leader? And tonight's talk is about politics versus religion. Now, when I say politics, that's one of those red alert words. It makes people emotional and angry. Opposites going at each other, and especially, sadly, more so in the last year or two. We're going to go in the opposite direction tonight, I promise you. Okay? Won't be liberals and conservatives going over the pews at each other. It'll be the, diff the opposite. So what I'd like to do is ask you three questions to kind of frame our thinking about this issue of politics and religion. The first question is, when you go to your blank, did you choose them because they are a Christian or some other person? And when I say blank, I mean fill in the blank, as in, is it a, a butcher, a baker, I'll say a candlestick maker from the, the children's song, a mechanic, what have you, a doctor. Do you choose your doctor, for example, because they are a Christian or for some other reason? Think about that. Three responses, please. Somebody give me a response. Some other reason. That's good and generic. I like that. Thank you, Jason. What is the reason? That's an excellent response. In fact, I'm going to write that one down. Some things are worth writing down. Skills. Anyone else? You know, that really helps a lot in this day and age. They're on your insurance. You can afford them. I've seen on TV haircuts that cost $1,000. I say on TV because I've never gotten one. Not for 1000 Reputation. Okay. Good. Good. That's three good answers. I appreciate that. Now let me give you a verse. And this was the first verse that came to mind. You would turn in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, please. Job, Psalm, Proverbs. And Ecclesiastes, if you're in Ecclesiastes, go back one. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 29. And Jason, great minds think alike. In Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 29, we read, Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will serve before kings. He will not serve before obscure men. So we're looking for skill. I'm looking for skill. That's also, this is also a verse to advocate for children to go to college or to receive some training, receive some skill training. Okay? 
I go to my um, barber because I want them to do a good job. That's pretty much the only reason, and that I can afford them. That always helps. That's why. It's not other considerations. It doesn't matter if they're a liberal or conservative, a man or a woman or what have you. It's because they are skilled in their work. First question, that was an easy one. Second question, what is prohibition and does it have any lesson for us today? Who here has never heard of prohibition? No? Uh, let me explain, let me just uh, summarize that briefly. Prohibition was an attempt, and I'm not a historian, and I'm not reading for a from a text, but let me just say, prohibition was an attempt by the US government where they outlawed all alcohol. Many years ago in the, the last century, the first portion of the last century, it's had its roots in religious uh, concerns where society was much more religious, frankly. And that movement fomented and grew so that the government outlawed alcohol. So did the nation become a nation of teetotalers? No. The nation, the residents, the people continued to drink, except it wasn't provided by the government, it was provided by the mafia. And the mafia made a lot of money, criminal organizations and persons, a lot of money off of that. So that eventually, as they grew in power, the law was abolished and the government went back to the uh, alcohol industry. So, are there any lessons to be learned from that? And I'm not asking anybody to go out on a limb and give me a thesaurus on this, a, a, a doctor's doctorate thesis, but did, did, does any thoughts strike you on this? Was it, what is it a success? Should we do it again? They're gonna do it. There was, that's, that's a good point, Bob. Because they want, the public wanted something and demanded it, and they were gonna get it no matter what. Pretty much. Uh, before I get my other two responses, I want to give you a verse. We're in Proverbs 22. Let's go over to chapter 23. In chapter 23 of Proverbs, in verse 29, I'll read to you. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine, do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind imagine confusing things. You will be one like one, sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging, they hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? Now that's someone in a really bad way. And that is the condition of what we call today an alcoholic. Why wouldn't you want to 
avoid that. Why wouldn't you want to outlaw it? The scriptures plainly condemn drunkenness. I'm not saying drinking. I'm saying drunkenness. Yes, ma'am. I like that. That's another writable. The individual. So we have decisions to make. We have choices to make. Steve, good point. You know, a lot of people just want to rebel. They just they don't want anybody to tell them anything they can do or what they need to do, what they can and can't do. And it's a lot of times because I'm gonna do it because I can. You know, or I'm you know, I'm gonna do it just because you can't tell me. Some people are rebels even without a and they are always troublemakers. Some people are rebels even without a cause. Yes, good point. Good point. Turn with me to the book of Ezekiel, please. Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. If you're in Daniel, turn back one. We're going to look at a very important principle in Ezekiel chapter 22. Now, this is a fairly obscure passage. And yet it should not be, because the principle involved here is what every Christian in this room and all Christians everywhere should be very mindful of and actually proficient in. I'm going to read to you from Ezekiel chapter 22, starting in verse 23. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, that is Ezekiel writing, son of man, say to the land. You are a land that has had no rain or showers in the day of wrath. And again, remember, in the, that day and age, no rain, no crops, no crops, no food. It's that way today as well, but it was even more so back then. There is a conspiracy of her princes within her like a roaring lion tearing its prey. They devour people take treasures and precious things, and make many widows within her. Don't we complain about leaders today that take advantage of the weak and the poor? Here's, again, in verse 26, what their leaders do. Her priests do violence to my law and profane my holy things. Now that phrase, do violence to my, my law, that's a big important phrase. Have you ever heard someone say, well, you may as well just take the, the, the pages of the Bible and just tear them right out of the Bible in a, in, a, in a Bible discussion, you know, when things sometimes get heated, often between the denominations. You may as well just tear the pages of the Bible out. That's what this is talking about. They do violence to my law. How? They do not distinguish between the holy and the common. And that's an important distinction. That's the principle I want everybody here to be mindful of. There is the holy and there is the common. And we need to be able to distinguish between the two. They teach that there is no difference between the unclean and the clean. And they shut their eyes to the keeping of my Sabbath. That is the seventh day, the holy day, or day of rest for the Jews. So that I am profaned among them. Her officials within her are like wolves tearing their prey. 
They shed blood and kill people to make unjust gain. Again, we complain about our politicians being self-serving and corrupt. It's nothing new. Unjust gain. Her prophets whitewash these deeds for them by false visions and lying divinations. They say this is what the sovereign Lord says when the Lord has not spoken. Imagine talking to somebody about God and misrepresenting God on purpose. You are lying to someone about God. We've seen that on TV often. We've seen that with cult leaders. Imagine what a dreadful thing and what a dreadful consequence will come of that. The people of the land practice extortion and commit robbery. They oppress the poor, needy, and mistreat the alien, denying them justice. So here in all these dreadful deeds and this dreadful situation here that Ezekiel is warning the Israelites about, he, he talks about failing to distinguish between the holy and the common. And that's really what we're talking about with politics and religion. Politics is common. Our religion, our faith, is holy. And that's an important distinction. We cannot legislate religion to this regard. Would it be wonderful if everybody in the country was baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus? Of course it would be. It would be wonderful, thank God. Suppose there was a law that said, unless you are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, you will either be imprisoned, pay a fine, a severe tax, or some such other punishment. Would that be a good thing? Even though the intent would be that people are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, that law would turn a good thing into a bad thing. And that's the point I want to point out. Religion is what God allows us to choose. He allows us to choose him or not. The government should do the same. Any other thoughts or, or comments about that? I appreciate the good thoughts here. Question three. And this one's in three parts. So there's a part A, a part B, a part C. Part A. Is God's party Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, or Green? This is an easy one. I only need one response. <laughs> that was good. I, like, I would write that down. That's a good one. I like that. <laughs> you know what? Okay, let's look. I've got to look at a verse after that one. That was a good thought. First Peter, please turn with me in your Bibles to the New Testament. In First Peter, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, and James, First Peter, Second Peter. And if you look at First Peter, we're going to start in chapter two, and we're going to start in verse four. We're going to see who God's party is. Where Peter writes in verse 4, as you come to him, that is Jesus, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices 
acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Go to verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. And there's a whole lot here that's crammed in these few verses here, a whole lot of thoughts, and each thought could be a sermon. What I want to point out is verse 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy, what? Nation. I've often heard that the USA is a Christian nation. Have you heard that? And there's been debate about whether the USA is a Christian nation or not a Christian nation. And I'm going to say to you, the USA is not a Christian nation. I'm saying that as a Christian. Because there's one Christian nation. There is one nation that belongs to Christ. One group. And it's the church. It's us, thank God. The church of God, the church belonging to Christ. That is the group, the nation, the party, if you will, of God. Not Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, the party, the Green Party, or the Purple with Pink Polka Dots Party, or any, any other party you can think of, but the church that belongs to God. Question B, part B, I should say. Is God's candidate Trump, Hillary, Gary Johnson, or Jill Stein? Easy answer. Somebody tell me. None of the above. It's E. I love that. Good. It's none of the above, whether they're good, great, or horrible, or anything in between. Here's our candidate. Turn with me to Hebrews. A couple of books to the left. Hebrews chapter 1. In verse 1. Here the writer writes, In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. God's candidate is his son, Jesus Christ. He is the one that we should listen to. He leads and we follow. That's it. I do want to point out something about my last question. Where God points out that, that we are a holy nation, that is his church. The USA is not a Christian nation. However, I will give you my observation as an old man who's seen a lot. As this nation practices, observes Christian principles, the principles you can read in the Bible, God blesses this nation. And when this nation turns away from those principles, God turns away from this nation and withholds blessing 
that he would otherwise give us as a nation. And that is something to be mindful of. That's many verses in the Old Testament that we'll save for another day. But I do invite you to look at that subject. Part C, does God have a candidate and or party? Well, we've seen that God's party is the church and his candidate is the good Lord, Jesus. Our last book of the evening, Acts chapter four. If you would please turn with me, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And in Acts chapter four here, the setting is that Peter and John have just healed a crippled man. And I love the children's song that we sing in Bible school. He went walking and leaping and praising God. That's the situation here. It always reminds me, it's an easy way to remember it. And this man has, this poor crippled man has been healed by God's power. And in Acts chapter 4, in verse 8, we read, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, because he's speaking before the Sanhedrin. He's speaking before the leaders of the Jewish nation, the Jewish people. If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He, that is Jesus, is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone or cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus is the leader that we must follow to be a part of God's group, his family, his nation, his party, if you will. I want to leave you with a thought, Christians, family. To, be, to distinguish between the holy and the common. Because I've seen a lot of Christians get caught up in things and give them importance that they do not deserve. What is important is our good Lord and his wonderful kingdom above all else. May we always be a part of that and welcome others into that. And to anyone who is not a Christian, I would have these words. Our last verse this evening is chapter 2 where Peter is giving the first gospel invitation. And I often read from it because though it is not the only gospel invitation, it is the most complete, being the first. And he says in verse 36, as he concludes his sermon of Acts chapter 2, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So Peter is saying, you can be sure that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord, that is, he is the creator. He is the God of the agreement, the covenant between God and mankind. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They were cut to the heart, they were in anguish. Someone said, my, my heart's cut, I'm, I'm very distressed. But that wasn't enough to be sad. They had to do something, and Peter replied, repent, that is, to change your point of view to change your mind and be baptized, that is to be immersed. It's unfortunate that that term has been translated and brought over. It should say immersed or dipped. Be immersed, that is in water, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness 
of your sins. Verse 41, it says, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. What a day. 3,000 people coming forward. Can you imagine that? 3,000 people. Yes, the crowd was probably around a million people as a guesstimate, but 3,000 people coming forward. What a glorious day. And the end of the chapter, the last sentence, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. To anyone who was not a Christian, I would offer these words. Why refuse the invitation? Join God's party. Become a child of God so that you would be with us and enjoy that wonderful inheritance, eternal inheritance, to be with him forever and ever. Anyone who's subject to the invitation, we invite you to come forward now while we stand and sing.